Well, now grab your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, as we read our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Westside. It is good to be with you um, in your homes and glad that um, hopefully we pray that um, this is the last week that we have to be meeting this way. And so if you would just uh, stay up to date on our Facebook page and on our website for more details about us regathering for our in-person gatherings um, as a congregation again. Um, I want to continue a thought this week that we started last week. And last week was very much so um, a different message. Um, It was a bit more emotional and a bit more prophetic. But at the same time, I feel very um, obedient. And I believe what God was asking us to speak to and to address. And I want to continue that thought this week um, from Ephesians chapter 2 and the verses that were just read to you. And uh, the sermon's entitled, From Hostility to, to Unity. And and this week I want to be a little bit more logical and and, and walk through this text and and really show point by point um, what the Apostle Paul is speaking about and and how it affects us in the here and now. And and, and maybe this will help as an introduction. Um, We've got a date that's coming up June 19th. Uh, which is actually um, a holiday in all but four states. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's actually a pretty big deal. It's called Juneteenth, which is June and then June 19th. And where this comes from is uh, the date was June 19th, 1865, when Union Major General Gordon Granger rode into Galveston, Texas, 
and announced and declared to a crowd there these words. In accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. It's called Juneteenth. And it's a big holiday in Texas. And it's the celebration of the announcement that all slaves were free. The, the irony of that is, is that the United States wasn't united. They were very um, hostile, right, with the Union and the South. And so this was a move under Abraham Lincoln to be the United States. What's interesting is that the Emancipation Proclamation was written by Abraham Lincoln and passed two years before this event happened. Now think about this. The Emancipation Proclamation freed and abolished slaves and slave owners that you could not own another human being in the United States. It's a good spot for an amen. Okay, right? Okay. Um, and so that was passed, but listen... Two years it took, two years it took for this news to travel and for these things to actually be um, put into place and implemented. And today, uh, my job is to be like Major General Gordon Grander. Um, for we know that, that peace has been made through the blood of Jesus Christ. That over 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, was buried and resurrected, that access to God was now granted and now peace with God has been achieved. But have you turned on the news lately? It doesn't look very peaceful. And so my job today is, is to announce sort of that way that there can now be peace and unity. We can move from hostility to unity. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, it's like the awkward part in the book of Ephesians. We don't know what to do with it, right? We love chapter 1 where it's like predestined, called, chosen, adopted. We're just like, oh, this is so good. That's like about me. Look at what Jesus did for me. And this is great. And then Paul prays. He's like, I bow my knee and I pray. And we're like, Tim Tebow. Oh my gosh, it's so great. Like we love that. Then Ephesians 2, what we just read, by grace you have been saved, right? That's every girl Instagram thing right there, Ephesians 2, by grace, right? Love all that stuff. And then Paul talks about race reconciliation. And we're like, what? Is that in Ephesians? Paul talks about reconciling races together? What? That's weird, right? Listen, um, God's word is always timely because it's timeless. So think about this. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus, to Christians, and he says, hey, um, there's a problem in that church. And the problem is, is that there's division. There's division in that church and it should not be that way. Because the good news and the announcement that we have all been freed from the slavery of sin. We're freed from that now. Death is no longer our slave master. That Jesus has defeated that. So why is their division in the church. This is God's holy, inerrant, inspired word. We believe that it's timeless. 
So if God chose through the power of the Holy Spirit to write through the Apostle Paul and address this to a church and it would forever be held in our grip to come back and learn what the implications of grace and the gospel are, that tells me this, that God knew in 2020 that churches would deal with this issue. So that's just a very base level of, Jason, why are you talking about this? Well, because it's in the Bible, okay? And, and just jelly on the bottom shelf, this is, this is the big idea that I believe in my bones. That when the church is unified, Jesus is glorified. In a world where it is bipartisanism, it is division, it is choose a side, it is say this, hashtag that. And if you don't, then you're out because we are and you're not. Jesus very simply says, um, the way that you're going to be a city set on a hill and in a way that the whole world is going to know that you're my disciples is by the way that you love one another. And so church, Westside, please listen to me. I believe that God in his sovereignty and in his providence for such a time as this, has you as a member of Westside, are you watching this in the larger body of Jesus Christ, that Westside can make a profound, eternal impact in the city of Popper Bluff when we are a church that is unified under the love and the banner of Jesus Christ. But here's what's interesting. Unified and unity doesn't mean uniformity. And, and here's what I mean. We are still a diversity. That's a unity. That's the key. I'm not asking for everybody to look like the cleavers or something. We're not talking about cookie cutters. Everybody act the same. Everybody smells the same. Everybody does this. Everybody does that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. The beauty is unity in the diversity. And that's what we can be as a church. Hey, listen, this is crazy. You ready for this? You ready? I believe I believe that Westside can be a church for Democrats and Republicans. It's fascinating, right? I believe Westside can be a church for people who voted for the president and didn't vote for the president. I believe Westside can be a church for people of different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, because you know why? Because we believe three simple words. Jesus is Lord. That's the banner. So what does it look like? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us, and I don't know any other passage of Scripture that could really break this down for us, but I want you to see his train of thought. He uses three uh, phrases that are going to sort of bust up our text and be our train of thought. He says this in verse 11, At one time, then verse 13, but now... And then verse 19, so then. Do you see that? Verse 11, at one time, verse 13, but now. And then verse 19, so then. So he walks through, he goes, hey, you need to remember this at one time. But then he says, but now, so then. So, so the first thing that I want to look at is this. Um, at one time, separated. At one time, we were separated. Look at what he says. These are real positive verses in Ephesians 2, 11 through 12. Therefore, 
Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. By the way, kids, if you want to know what that means, you can just turn to your parents and ask them to send Pastor Tyler an email to see what that's about, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So in the church in Ephesus, you had Jews who had converted to follow Jesus Christ. And then you had what the phrase is, therefore you Gentiles in the flesh. So, so very simply, Gentiles were non-Jewish people. Um, the Jewish people are in ethnicity. They can trace their heritage um, back to Abraham. Remember Father Abraham had many sons, right? That guy. And then everybody else is considered Gentiles in the Bible. And here's what the Apostle Paul has. At the church, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. So these are different ethnicities. These are different backgrounds. This is, this is a diversity here. But the Apostle Paul speaks to the Gentiles. And he says, hey, I need to remind you of some things. And he tells us four things that, that we are without Jesus Christ. Um, the first one, you're, you're separated from God. By the way, um, all problems flow from that problem. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're having trouble in your relationships. I don't care if you're struggling with addiction. I don't care if you're struggling with pride. If you are not, and if you have not confessed Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life and ask for the forgiveness of your sins and confess that you are a sinner separated from God and then through that act of faith, pass through the waters of baptism, you are separated from God. All other problems flow from that. It doesn't matter how many counseling hours you have or anything. I believe that that is the core issue. I believe it's the core issue of the world. And Paul says we're separated from God. The second one is this, aliens to Israel. So Israel was God's people. Um, God said, hey, I'm going to show the whole world that I'm God through you, which is crazy to think about, right? I'm going to show the whole world that I'm God through these people. What the Apostle Paul says is that you being a Gentile, we were, we were aliens. We were not citizens of that promise. Then the third thing is this. Um, we were strangers to the covenant, right? The covenant that God made with Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then through your lineage, it will be like the stars in the sky, in the sand, on the sea. And so what, what Paul is saying is we, we were not a part of that covenant. And then the last one is, is, is real positive. Um, we're without hope. Without hope. There is nothing, there is nothing more dangerous than hopelessness. Hopelessness is there's no point. That's despair. That is a dark place. And the Apostle Paul says, at one time, we have to remember that, that we were separated, that everybody, that this is true of us. Now, listen, for some of us, this explains who we were. But for some of us, this explains who we are. For some of us, this explains who we were. And for some of us, this explains who we are. But, but here's what's interesting. Um, as Christians... 
Our past explains us, but it doesn't define us. Like, like our past and our stories explain us. It's, it's who we are. It's how we've become to be the person that we are. The hurt ache and the loss and the pain and the dumb choices that we've made. It explains us, but it does not define us. I love what John Stott says. He says this. There are some things which scripture tells us to forget. But there's one thing in particular which we are commanded to remember and never forget. This is what we were before God's love reached down and found us. For if we remember our former alienation, distasteful as some of it may be to us, shall we be able to remember the greatness of the grace which forgave and is transforming us. So listen, if we start here where the Apostle Paul starts at one time separated, do you know what the common ground is and the starting block is? Humility. I mean, when you look at this list and I see who I am apart from Jesus, how in the world can I look at someone and say, I'm better than you because grace, (laughs) right? Grace is an unearned gift from an unobligated giver. It's offensive. It levels the playing field. So the church, when it's unified, um, Jesus is glorified. And the first thing that we have to understand is that one time we were separated. But I love this. The second thing is this. um, But now reconciled. Look at what he says in verse 13. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, so, so, so there's a lot here, but here's what I love. Everybody was um, separated. Everybody was hostile, but now in Christ, Jesus is the reconciler. And can I just spend a few moments here? Um, I think right now in the culture, there are false Antichrists. Now, here's what I mean by this. False reconcilers that say we can unite a people. Be on our team and we can unite all. If you feel separated and if you feel like you're an orphan out there in the world, we can unite you. And I think some of the false reconcilers are like the first thing, um, political like bipartisan. So, so we're going to reconcile and we're going to bring people together by their political affiliations. And I just, how's that going right now, right? The second one's this, um, social class. So the wealthy, the poor. So if you're poor, you have to align with this. And if you're wealthy, you have to align with this because that's what brings us together. Or the third thing, um, social causes. I think that's the big thing right now. And listen, this is even creeping into the church. And here's what I mean. We think that being a Christian is just doing social justice work. But the great reconciler is Christ, not your cause. Do I believe that social justice efforts and reform are a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, 
Because look back upon church history. Hey, do you know the history of hospitals? I've never seen, and there is yet to be named, a hospital after Charles Darwin. Darwin Hospital. Doesn't exist. Orphanages. Trace the history of these things. All of that comes from a Judeo-Christian background. But first and foremost, the reconciler is Christ, not a cause. And I believe that my generation and the younger generations are, are begging for a cause. They will march for anything. And here's what breaks my heart. See, I'm not one to look at them and go, <laughs> you wouldn't be marching if you had a job. Like, I'll fight you if I see that, okay? I'm just, I'm exhausted from that type of language, all right? When I look and I see that, I'm weary that they don't see a cause in the church. See, I come from the perspective that why don't they, why don't they see the church making those reforms? Why don't they see the church being the one who has the greatest cause? And then the last false reconciler is obviously this, skin color. That so you have to be this or you have to be that. And because this, that's the reconciler. And listen, at the end of the day, what you win someone with is what you win them to. That's it. So if it's the cause, if it's this or if it's that, that's all you've got at the end of the day. But Paul tells us the only, the only person who could unite such a diverse group of people and make them unified together is Jesus Christ. But he says this, um, that there was, verse 14, that he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, now I have to do a little bit of work here. Um, this is a picture of what the temple would have looked like, okay? And, and, and there were outer courts there. And what you see is, is there's a wall in the middle of the outer court. That is the dividing wall. And here's what it meant. That if you were not Jewish, you could not go beyond that point in the temple. And there were actually inscriptions that had, that, um, that it would be punishable by death if you passed this barrier to go further into the temple. Um, how can we make this relevant? To make it relevant, um, it probably, here's a similarity. Um, Black and white water fountains. You say, Jason, they, they had that separation there in the temple and that wall. Um, why did they do that? Well, well, Paul tells us. The dividing wall of hostility, verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So here's what happens. And we still do this today. Just follow me with this. God gives Israel the Ten Commandments, Right? So because I saved you, this is now how you're going to live. Not live this way and then I'll save you. So what does Israel do when they get those Ten Commandments now? Buddy, look at what we've got. We now have the Ten Commandments, which means we're awesome. See, those other nations, they don't have the Ten Commandments. That's why... We're better than them. And we see Jesus come along rebuking the Pharisees, saying, do you not understand 
that these rules and regulations that God gave were not so that if you obeyed them, you would be better than people. Oh, we, we still do this today. You see, you think being rebellious towards God is breaking commandments. And then Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and says, um, actually, you can be prideful and a rebel by trying to obey all of them. So what we do is we say, well, I've, I've never been on welfare before. I've worked hard for what I have. Nobody ever gave me nothing. And what, see, the problem with those people is, and see, the reason why they vote Democrat, the reason why they vote Republican is because they don't, because I have, and if only they knew, and the reason why, and here's what we do. We take a good thing, right? Working hard is a good thing. Um, hello, the law, the commandments, those are good things. We take good things and we make them God things. And that's a bad thing. That's idolatry. And, and what are we doing even today in the church of Jesus Christ? Jesus tore down this wall in order that all people would have access to God the Father. Do you know how outlandish it is when the Apostle Paul says in verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross? They would have gasped at that understanding. But what do we do now? Well, you have to look like us. You have to vote like us. You have to think like us. And then, and then you can be a part of Listen, that is a modern day dividing wall of hostility. And that will not happen in the church of Jesus Christ under my watch. And so what does Paul go on to say? Well, he says that peace comes by the cross. Um, I had a preacher just remind me recently that the cross has two beams. One is vertical, representing our peace with God. See, if you want the peace of God, you have to have peace with God. But then there's a second beam of the cross. And it's the horizontal one, which represents loving our neighbor as ourself. You see, what I'm coming to realize, how many Christians just want a one beam cross? And the problem is, is you can't have that. That's a Christless, crossless Christianity. And it's not for people that are just like you. It represents who is in our sphere, who is around us. And it reminds me of this as well, that, that the cross teaches us that peace comes at the price of our own comfort. I mean, how did Jesus achieve it? We love talking about peace. We love it. How did it happen? It happened through his flesh being nailed to a cross through blood, Paul says, that peace has a price tag and the price tag is our own comfort. So listen, Christians, if you want to have peace in your life and peace in the world around you, here's, here's what I believe it's going to look like. I believe it's going to look like saying to someone who is not like you, who doesn't think like you, hey, I would like to get to know you. 
rather than subtweeting you and then seeing your status on Facebook. And I'm not going to tag you because then that would be a lot of conflict. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to post something the exact opposite of what you just posted. So all of our friends on our Facebook timeline will see that I saw your post. But what I'm doing is I'm posting against your post because I'm postmaster. Okay. And we are seven year old little kids again. But I believe what it looks like is going, hey, you're different. I'd like to get to know you. And then closing our mouth. And that's going to be so uncomfortable. It's going to make us afraid. But we have an option. In a climate full of fear, we can either choose comfort or we can choose truth. But we cannot choose both. In a climate full of fear where there's a lot of unknown, we can either choose comfort or we can choose the truth. But we cannot choose both. And the last thing with these verses that I see is that unity is a reflection of the Trinity. Do you see that in verse 18? This is where I got to be your nerd friend here, okay? And I'm okay with that. For through him, who's him? Jesus, right? For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 18 shows me God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that the church of Jesus Christ on this earth as it is in heaven, represents our God who is a diversity but a unity. One God, three distinct persons. That is the way that we show the world what the true God is. So we see, at one time separated, but now reconciled by Jesus Christ, this diversity that was a hostility is now becoming a unity. And then the last thing is this. So then, what are the implications of the cross, Jason? What are the implications of what Jesus has done? So then, unified. Look at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, by the way, if your house has a foundation, how many foundations does it have? One, okay? So there, were, there was one generation of apostles and prophets. So if you see anybody that introduces himself, it's like, hey, I'm apostle so-and-so. You say, my pastor, Jason Jordan at Westside Church of God said, you are not an apostle. So let's continue. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Listen, Paul uses three analogies to say this is what the church is now like. This is what this new humanity, this new race, if you will, in light of Jesus Christ is. It's, it's God's kingdom, it's God's family, and it's God's temple. God's kingdom that now we are citizens in God's kingdom with Jesus Christ being our good king. And that we are now a part of God's family with God being our father. That's why Christians refer to themselves as brothers and sisters. Because this is a new family now. And then God's temple. This is what the spirit of God is doing. But everything that he says is that it's in the original language. It's, it's in the present active, which means this. Being built. So... Um, is it perfect? And, and, and maybe you're watching this today and, and, and listening to this and you're like, yeah, well, my critique is, is that the church says this, but they're not this. And, and, and here's just my honest answer to you. Um, yeah, you're right. 
but there's room so you can come and join us. <laughs> because it's not about perfection, it's about progression. That we are being built together in, in this unity. And listen, I believe that when the church is unified, that Jesus will be glorified. John Stott, I'm going to close with his words because he says it so well in his commentary on Ephesians. He wrote these words in 1987. I wonder if anything is more urgent today for the honor of Christ and for the spread of the gospel than that the church should be and should be seen to be by what by God's purpose and Christ's achievement it already is a single new humanity a model community a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their father and love each other the evident dwelling place of God by his spirit only then will the world believe in Christ as peacemaker only then will God receive the glory that is due his name? Yes and amen. This is the good news in these yet-to-be United States. I believe the church of Jesus Christ, that when it is unified, that Jesus will be glorified. And so, I, and so I just have a very simple question to ask you in closing for application. And it's this. How am I working towards unity with the relationships in my life? How are you working towards unity in the relationships in your life? Peace comes at a cost. It has a price tag. And I believe that it's of our own comfort. But listen to me, I believe with my bones that when we step out into that unknown and we're in full reliance on the Spirit of God, that is where He meets us. That is where He meets us. Messiah, let's close and pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.